Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good. All right. Hey, if you're joining us online, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Mike. I'm the worship and connections pastor here. And can we get a round of applause that yesterday was the first day of spring? Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Very, uh, man, it's, it, it feels like that winter lasted about eight years. I don't know about you, but that's kind of how it was for me. But uh, yeah, so um, can I be honest with you guys real quick? Just be real honest with you. Um, I don't necessarily like public speaking. It might surprise you because I'm up here every week and I talk, but um, it's just not something that I'm really good at or something that I, it's something, it's a tool that God has given me that I'm trying to like be better with. So if, if my words sound a little shaky, if I'm talking a little bit fast, don't worry, I'm nervous and I'll get over it eventually. So we're on this journey together. Okay. Uh, but today I, I have to warn you that the topic we're going to be talking about, and maybe it's one that you've heard before. Uh, so it can be easy to tune out on. Maybe it's one that uh, some some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. Maybe like, oh man, those numbers. That's really it. Like, just to warn you, um, it could be it could be interesting. So hang in there with me here. Um, what we're going to be looking at today is how do we become better followers of Jesus? How do we become better followers of Jesus? Now, there's in this room. There's probably and probably even us joining us online. There's a number of us who have probably been Christians longer than I've been alive. There's some of us that are, are have been maybe a couple of years down the path. There's some of us that, that haven't even started walking down the path following the lead of Jesus. And so the one thing that we need to understand about following Jesus is that it's not easy. Quite frankly, sometimes it's just really hard to do. But... There is a but with this. It is so worth it to follow Jesus in every aspect of your life. No matter what happens, it brings you so much joy. And I can speak that from that from my own personal experience because I have had a time in my life where I kind of strayed from the path. So have any of you in this room or anybody online, have you ever strayed away from the path? And when I talk about the path, I'm talking about the path that God has set before us to follow his lead. Have you ever strayed away from the path? You know, and it doesn't have to be intentional. It can be really easy, especially with the way that this world, all the pressures that we have that we get so busy that, that we kind of start to drift and we let, you know, we, God gets on the back burner and, hey, God, I'll do that tomorrow. You see, I can actually, uh, I can remember pretty much the exact moment that I started to drift. It was when I got this little piece of plastic called a driver's license. Yeah, I thought I knew everything, right? You see, the thing about the driver's license was I finally got my first taste of freedom. And disclaimer, just to let you guys know, my parents raised me really well, okay? I, I grew up going to church every Sunday. I watched my dad serve in the worship band every Sunday. I even served at church growing up on Sunday. The reason that that I drifted had everything to do with me. And being a selfish, young, stupid teenager wanting to do what I wanted to do. So it had nothing to do with my parents. It was more, more to be with that. So there I was. 
I'd just gotten my driver's license. And I got behind the wheel of a 1994 Mercury Villager. So for, for those of you who don't know what that car is, that's a minivan. And I was actually excited to drive this thing. Okay? So, th- all right. So there's a couple of reasons why I was excited to drive. First, it had leather seats. I mean, that was pretty awesome. All right. But th- all right. So this minivan was the one that had kind of like, it was the family car. And then after it was not, no longer the family car, it got, a, it got passed down to the kids. So my oldest sister, I have two older sisters. My oldest sister got the minivan. She drove it, eventually got her own car. My middle sister was like, I'm not driving that thing. Decided to go and get a job and saved up enough money to get her own car. So she, just so she didn't have to drive this minivan. But I was excited to drive it. I was thinking about um, all the adventures that I could get with it and be, you know, doing, uh, having all my friends with me. Because that's six passengers. That's a lot of friends. I don't think I had that many friends at that time. But I was excited about it. So my parents, being the responsible good parents they were, gave me a couple of ground rules before I was off on my own driving. They said, hey, the one rule that I want you to follow... Don't have anybody in the car with you for the first month or two because, number one, you might be a danger to, to society, be a bad driver. And number two, you might be a danger to others that if they're riding with you, if you wreck because you're just not that experienced yet. That seemed like a pretty, pretty logical rule, but I didn't like it. So it took me two days to break it. <laughs> you see, I had a date to get to. I had a date and... Um, Instead of me having the awkward conversation of like, oh, my parents have this rule where you can't ride with me, I decided that I was going to break it and have her ride with me. And the date wasn't exactly that memorable. Um, you know, I think we went out for coffee at Starbucks or something. Um, conversation was okay. You know, the, the the girl I'm talking about was not my wife, so like that didn't lead to that. Um, it wasn't really that memorable. But what happened afterwards? was actually really memorable. I was driving and going through an intersection, and the light turned yellow, and me, instead of hitting the brakes and stopping, suddenly I decided to speed through it. The only problem was that there was a lady turning left that was expecting me to stop. So I was able to avoid it enough to where I kind of hit her back, the back half of her car, she did like a little 180, and I kind of came to a sudden stop eventually on the side of the road. And I can still remember... The, the tires squealing, the, the airbags deploying, the, the smell that comes with that, and the smell of the smoke of the car and everything, and, and how shooken up I was by that one, by the accident that happened. This, keep in mind, this is two days into me having my license. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember all that. Now, I can tell you that nobody got hurt in the accident, at least seriously injured. Um, but the thing that did get hurt was my pride. And even further than that, the thing that really goes hurt was I broke my parents' trust. You see, I believe that, that we've all strayed a time or two, especially in our lives. If you've been a Christian long enough, you've, you've probably strayed at least once. For me, the beginning of that was getting my driver's license. And it led to a path that I continued to choose the things that I wanted to do and the things that made me happy and comfortable that ultimately led to destruction to me falling flat on my face. Luckily, I had some people to usher me back to the path. But that's the thing, that we, 
I was talking about drifting. It's easy in this busy world. It tells you, you need to do this, X, Y, and Z. You need to do, this is the path you need to follow for success. And what happens is that we get so caught up in that, that God gets put on the back burner. And we stray from the path. We say for, for tomorrow the things that we need to do today because we're too busy. I'll start reading the Bible tomorrow. I'll start getting on that plan that I said I was going to do. I'll stop doing that one sin that I keep doing that keeps me off the path because I know I have tomorrow. I can do that. We say for tomorrow what needs to be done today. And here's the thing. If, if you're watching this and you haven't strayed yet from a path or the path that we're talking about, which is following Jesus, maybe you're in the midst of straying from the path right now. Guys, God is calling us to so much more. He's literally inviting us to so much more. And he's, he, he's even given us a way to find that path. So the question remains, are we going to stay on that path? Or are we going to continue to forge our own path? The one that leads to destruction. You see, the question that we're going to be going over today a lot is, how do we become better followers of Jesus? How do we become better followers of Jesus? We need to understand who we're following, but more importantly, we need to know him on a deeper level, not just the surface level, deep level, a well that you continually dig every day of your life. The problem is this is not where we're trending as Christians. We're not trending in that direction. Study after study has shown that we are not trending in that direction. So how do we get back to the path of knowing Jesus and knowing him on a deep level? So we're going to explore a passage today, and I think it kind of starts with this passage. This comes in Matthew 22, uh, starts in verse 35, uh, but it's the passage that's known as like the great commandment. And so what I like to do is I like to set the scene before we get there, because so we can get a little bit of context of what's actually happening in this passage. So just before this in Matthew 22, a few passages back, um, Jesus, so Jesus is in Jerusalem. The Pharisees uh, and the, the Sadducees and all the other Cs, uh, they don't like him because he's been questioning their authority. And not only m- more than that, he's been calling them out for their sin. And so what they have been doing this entire time as Jesus has this big following with him in Jerusalem is they've been testing him over and over again. And so just before this, the test that he had to endure was the one where um, the Pharisees had sent their disciples to be like, hey, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And I can see Jesus kind of getting just kind of like annoyed. Another test. Here we go. And he goes, has anybody got a coin? Has anybody got a coin? So somebody flips him a coin and he holds it up and he says, Who's on this coin? And they say, well, that's Caesar. And he's like, and he, I can see him kind of like flipping it back to the guy and saying, give the Caesar what's Caesar's, give the God what's God's. And they're all like, I never thought of that before. That's a really good answer. They're all stunned that he came up with this answer. And the Pharisees are mad because he has yet again passed one of their tests. So Jesus is in the middle of a bunch of tests. So the test we're going to be talking about uh, is going to be Matthew 22, verse 35. Let's begin there. Uh, and one of them an expert in the law asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. 
This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two, two commands. So all the law and the prophets, the law and the prophets are the Old Testament or part of the Old Testament. So that's what Jesus would have understood as scripture. They all depend on these two commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So when Jesus is faced with the question, which is, what is the greatest command in the law? That, that might seem like it's kind of a, a tall order to us. Because we're like, well, there's, there's so many of them. Where do, we, where do I even begin? But to any good first century practicing Jewish man or woman, they would have known right off the bat what the greatest commandment was because it was ingrained in them from birth. They literally, it was taught to them. It was, it was so important that it even had its own name. They called it the Shema. Say that five times fast. And it comes out of Deuteronomy 6. So Deuteronomy is a book that Moses wrote to kind of give the Israelites more, more laws so they could kind of understand what the godly path was like. So this comes out of Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4. This is the greatest command. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. So as we see, the Shema was something that was very important and it was something that was specifically instructed to the Israelites that you must tell your kids this. It's kind of like the Pledge of Allegiance for the Israelites to kind of put it in a modern-day context. like This is something that, as soon as they would have said, listen, O Israel, every single person in that room would have perked up and said, I know how to say this, and they would say it. That's how important this was. But you see, the thing that Jesus says, he doesn't stop with one command. He goes to the second command, which is love your neighbor as yourself. And that comes out of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. If you want to fact-check me, you can do that. But... The thing that Jesus did and how he responded to these tests, this specific test, was he quoted scripture. He knew scripture inside and out, but he was the word, but he knew it. And he, that's exactly how he fought off all their attacks. I mean, that's, if you look at Jesus after he gets baptized, right before he starts his ministry, he goes into the desert for 40 days to fast and to pray. And what happens? The devil tempts him three times, and each time he quotes scripture back to him. And he, he fends off the attack. And so that's often how Jesus responded to these tests and responded to the people. And Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40, there's, there's a lot there, and it's, it's a really deep and it's a really rich uh, passage of scripture. And there's a lot of different angles that you can come at it. And specifically today, what I want to talk about with these, or this, I want to focus on the two commands, but more specifically with the two commands, I want to focus on how if we can follow these two things, we can be better followers of Jesus. So let's look at verse 37. That's um, where Jesus starts to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Love your God with everything you have. What does that actually look like? What does it look like? To love God with everything you have. Is it praying, like, Jesus, I, I love you so much. 
I really do. I really love you. Is that it? Is it going and serving in your community or at your church? That's good. And those things are things that are essential to our faith. But the one thing that I think um, we can look at, it's really not the full picture, right? So how do we love God with everything we have? We get to know him and know him at a deeper level. A deeper level that we, than we've ever known. But how do we do that? How do we get to know God? I think some of you maybe are tracking with me and understand where I'm going here. We read our Bible. We open this thing up and we read it. That's a really great place to start. But and I know what you're probably saying right now. You're probably thinking something along the lines of, Oh, great. Here's another pastor telling me I need to read the Bible. Does he, doesn't he realize that I have a busy life? Or that, that when I read the Bible, I just don't get it all the time? Doesn't he realize that? Why does he keep telling me to read the Bible? And I'll tell you, I'll kind of push back with, maybe there's a reason we keep saying that. Maybe there's a reason. You know, you guys, did anybody go through core? Our core classes that we did last year, if you can remember eight years ago before COVID? Okay, so we had these things that were called core steps. And this, this is like the path that we try to trudge as a church. You know, when the very first one, very first core step is to read your Bible. Then we join a community group. Then we serve in a ministry, so on and so forth. But the very first step is to read your Bible. And it's really important for us to read our Bibles and to dive into them so that we know Jesus better. The problem that we, the, where the rub happens is that there's some pretty hard evidence that we aren't reading our Bibles. There's some pretty hard evidence. And actually a group called the Barna Group who specifically polls different churches across, you know, evangelical churches, Catholic churches, they poll these guys. And these are people who are regular attenders at church and they ask them questions and they see how they respond. A recent poll that came out in October showed these results. 52% of the people who took this, who are Christians, who claim to be evangelical, reject absolute moral truth. 61% do not read the Bible daily. 60% believe that the Bible conflicts with their beliefs. 42% seek moral guidance from somewhere other than the Bible. They go to the next self-help book that some businessman wrote instead of going to the self-help book. 50% do not view sex outside of marriage as sinful. 43% do not believe in a God-given purpose for humanity. That means that God doesn't have a hand in our life. He doesn't have a path for us. 43% believe that God doesn't have Here's one. 43% believe that Jesus sinned. These are Christians. These are people who go to church regularly. 43% of them believe that Jesus sinned. Last one. 58% believe that the Holy Spirit is symbolic. That it's not when you give your life to Christ that the Holy Spirit does not live inside of you. 58% believe that it's symbolic. You see... What those numbers show, and I know that every context is different, but what these specific numbers are showing is that people are not reading the Bible. They're coming up with their own conclusions about the path to follow Jesus and how it says, 
to do it. And they're not going to the word to do that. You see, that's one of the greatest crises that we are that we are facing as a as the church right now is that people aren't reading their Bible. They're not getting into the word until it gets into them. Sixty one percent of Christians do not read their Bible daily. And I know that reading your Bible daily seems like a tall task and you're not going to be perfect at it. But maybe read it outside of church on Sunday, outside of your community group. When was the last time you did that? So how can we become better followers of Jesus? We can read the Bible. We can allow it to ingrain itself into our lives, into the very fibers of our DNA. We can, as I just said, we can get into the Word until it gets into us. That's one of my favorite authors, uh, Robbie Gallaty, says that. We get into the Word until it gets into you. That means like re- not just reading it, but journaling it, talking to other Christians about the Bible, and saying, hey, I'm really wrestling with this right now. What's your perspective on it? And people who are reading the same scripture, you guys can go over that. So how can we become better followers of Jesus? Answer number one is we can read our Bible. And I'm going to say this plainly. It's impossible to grow as a follower of Christ unless you are a student of his word. It is impossible to grow as a follower of Christ unless you are a student of his word. I mean, these numbers that I just went over, they're, they're kind of scary, aren't they? But I think it kind of correlates in that. I think this is why Jesus gave us more than one command. He didn't just say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all yourself. He gave us a second command, and I think this kind of speaks into it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So before I get into the point I want to make here, I want to remind you that God loves you. You are worthy of love, and you should love yourself. But I'm not going to take this from the angle of, all right, in order to be, you know, in order to love your neighbor as yourself, you have to do X, Y, and Z for your neighbor to be a better, to, to do that. And I think it kind of goes without saying that if we want to have thriving homes and spheres, which is our vision as a church right now, that we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. We need to do the things like plowing their driveway when it snows. Please never snow again. Um, we need to do the things like taking out their trash when they have issues, helping them open the door for people. Like that, That's just part of being a Christ follower and having a thriving home in the sphere. But what I want to get to with this passage is I want to kind of peel back the onion a little bit more and get to a deeper layer of, I think, what Jesus is getting to when he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And it's called self-denial. Self-denial. If we look at, so as Christ followers, Matthew 28, Jesus commands us the Great Commission, which Jeff is going to be talking about a little bit about that next week. The Great Commission says, All authority has been given to me under heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the things that I have commanded you. And he says, Remember, I'm with you to the end of the age. Right? That's the Great Commission. So when we look at Jesus-type discipleship, what does that look like? How, do we, how can we be a disciple of Jesus? I think Jesus-type discipleship is a discipleship that begins with self-denial. Begins with self-denial, not self-preservation. 
See, in this world, people will tell you, you need to do this to get ahead of people. You need to do this. You need to do this to survive. And I'm not saying put your life in danger by saying self-denial. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. But Jesus-type discipleship is one of self-denial, not self-preservation. You know, one of the things that when, when Jesus says, follow me, he specifically says this to a large crowd and says, if you want to follow me, you must deny yourself daily and pick up your cross. If you want to follow me, you must deny yourself daily and pick up your cross. And then half the crowd left. And I can see Peter going over to Jesus and being like, Jesus, um, can we talk a little bit, man? So when you said the whole, like, if you want to follow me, you have to, like, deny yourself and take up your cross, like, can we maybe not use an instrument of death to tell people how it is to follow you? Because I know it's not that way, but maybe they don't know. And can we just not do that? But I, I can see Jesus kind of going like, look, this is what I was getting at. Okay, number one, this is, th- here's what Jesus was getting at. It's not easy to follow him. It's not. It wasn't meant to be. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. To follow Jesus is... To, to mean that sometimes you're going to get uncomfortable. Sometimes you'll get uncomfortable. Sometimes you have to sacrifice something. Sometimes you have to take those things that you hold near and dear to your heart, those things that you're like, these are my things, don't touch them, and you have to let Jesus do that. Because if you're unwilling to let him do that, then those now have become idols. You see it, God gives us a a chance, right, when we're faced with a decision to go on the path that he wants us to go on or the path that the world wants us to go on. So when we're faced with this decision, in those moments, we need to choose the path that leads to the cross. We need to choose the path that leads to the cross. Here's what I want us to remember. One of the things I really want us to remember today, okay, Following Jesus means having a cross-shaped heart. Following Jesus means having a cross-shaped heart. The old WWJD, what would Jesus do? That needs to be our first instinct when we're faced with a decision. What would Jesus do in this moment? I think Jesus would love with a cross-shaped heart. Jesus was willing to deny himself for us. You see, before Jesus was sent to earth by God, he was up with God in heavenly glory. He was enjoying paradise. God could have easily been like, "Mm, I tried with those guys. They just won't listen to me. But that's not what he did. He denied himself. He sent his son to earth, who, oh, by the way, was born in a stable and put in a feeding trough to live a life where he was human and God in the flesh. Right, So he still got cuts. He still had to deal with all the uncomfortableness of if he was hungry or if he had to go to the bathroom. He denied himself for us all the way to the point where he died on a cross for us. Jesus was willing to deny himself for us. So what does Jesus-like discipleship look like? It looks like self-denial. It looks like loving with a cross-shaped heart. And a cross-shaped heart is one that is shaped by self-denial. And that's that sounded weird coming out even. So 
Could you imagine if, imagine the difference that we could make in our homes and in our spheres? If we got into our Bible more. If we started basing all of our decisions and all the things we do on what the Word says. Could you imagine if we, we judged our, how, our successes by how successful the scriptures say we were instead of the worldly measures that we always get? Could you imagine that world? It'd be great. Could you imagine if, if we started loving our neighbors as we love ourselves? What would that look like? If we really truly loved our neighbors as we loved ourselves. And it only took a pandemic for us to figure out if we actually do love our neighbors as we love ourselves. But there's hope, guys. There is hope with this, okay? I know that some of the stuff I threw at you today, you're like, dang, Mike. But there is hope with this, okay? And we can start today. All right, we can start right now. We can start putting the Bible as a priority in our lives. We can, we can start loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. And, and denying ourselves, which is really, 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 really hard to do. And I struggle with it every day. We can deny ourselves for, for, for Jesus because he was willing to deny, to deny himself for us. But it starts with a decision. It starts with a decision and it starts, it can, and it can actually start today. If you've been on that path that's leading you away from God, it starts right now where you can get back and you can start taking a step toward the right path. But how can we do that? What are some, maybe some practical ways that we can take this and go home and and actually apply it to our lives? The first thing we need to do is we need to make church not a Sunday thing. Church was never meant to be a Sunday thing or just, or just be allocated to all right, I spent an hour and a half at church, and then I get to spend an hour and a half to two hours if we run long at community group, and that's my God time. God is supposed to ingrain himself in every single fiber of your life. So you, everything you do and everything that you want to do starts with him. And just so you guys know, I know that's been said on this stage before because I know Brandon, but you are the church. Any of this building. So go out there and be the church, because that's exactly what we are. Another thing you can do this week is you can start to read your Bible again. You can start to specific. If you're with like me, I need structure. I need I need to be like, all right. If I'm going to start a workout plan, I need somebody to plan it so I actually do it. And if you need a Bible reading plan, I can give you three right now. If you want to come see me after service, or text me, or call me, whatever. I can give you some Bible reading plans if you need them, if you, if you don't know where to start. Guys, the Bible is there, it's more readily available than any other book out there. And, it, and also, it's more readily available than it's ever been. You can go to Walmart and pick up a Bible if you don't have one. Or you can come find me if you don't have a Bible, and I will gladly get you a Bible. One that's not, I mean, if, never mind. I was going to make a King James Version joke, but I'm not going to do that. 
is there's an app that you, there's actually a couple different apps you can get on your phone. One is called Dwell, D-W-E-L-L. It's a paid app, but what it does is it actually, if you're a person who looks at the Bible and you're reading it and it just like doesn't click in your head, but you're more of like an auditory learner, it will actually physically read the Bible to you and you can choose your specific voice you like. You can choose what kind of music you want to play behind you. That's a really great way for you to start getting into your Bible. Maybe you're on your way to work. Play it. Pull up the Dwell app. Or you have the Bible app on your phone. Most of us probably have that on our phone or you're on Facebook a lot while you're in here. But most of us have the Bible app on our phone, or if you don't, you should get it on your phone because it's really good. It gives you daily reminders of certain scriptures, and it has a ton of great devotionals. But guys, don't let those devotionals be the only Bible you get. Devotionals are great, but what they do is they give you two to five verses to read and about five to six paragraphs on how you can apply it to your life. It should be opposite. You should be reading more of the Bible than of a a devotional where somebody tells you how you should feel about it. And don't believe the lie that you have to understand everything you read the second you open that book and read it, and it's just not worth your time because I've tried, Mike, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I can't understand my Bible no matter how much I open it and read it. Don't tell yourself the lie that you can't understand it because you know why? You're selling God short. You're selling the Holy Spirit short because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he wants you to understand the Bible. It takes patience. It takes time. But eventually, and I can speak from my own experience on this, things start to click. You start to understand what you're reading. And don't start don't start in Genesis and then stop at Numbers. Start in the Gospels if you have to. Or if, if you've already read the Gospels, read them again. Or if you're looking for a really good Old Testament scriptures to read, or a book of Bible to read, First and Second Samuel. Talk about an epic saga. It's right there. It's all in the Bible, guys. And God uses this. It's, it's the living, breathing, active word. It's sharper than any other sword, double-edged sword. It's what Scripture calls itself. That's what this Bible is. We can use this Bible, but we have to let it ingrain itself into our lives. So read the Bible this week. You know, God wants us to walk down the path that he has laid before us. And he's actually given us a way to know what that path is, which is the Bible. So as you go out into your lives, as you go out into your days, set some time aside for God to read this thing. And watch how it changes you. Following Jesus means loving with a cross-shaped heart. We're going to, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. Uh, we're going to, the band's going to come out and sing a song. And I just want to encourage you to make this, this song a prayer this morning for you. Because that's what song, songs are, just prayers put this, like, in song form. But make this your prayer this week. As we sing, I will build my life upon your love. Because it is a firm foundation. Let's make that our prayer this week. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We thank you that that you were willing to deny yourself so much that you would send him to take our place. God, we were, we were the people who were turning our backs on you 
And you loved us so much that you sent your son. And we thank you for that every day. God, as we go out into our lives and as we, as we leave this building, allow us to not make church just a Sunday thing. Not just that I check my Sunday box, but that, that what I learned today is something that I can take out and I can use the rest of the six days of the week. God, give us the, the endurance and the wisdom and the knowledge and, and everything that we need to follow you, to get into our Bibles this week because we want to know you more. Give us that fire to know you more, to be a student of your word because we want to continue to grow and we want to continue to be the people that you want us to be and head down the path that you have set before us in our lives. Help us find that path this week. We pray this all in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.